Hello, my friend, and welcome to PM School, an inspiring podcast taking you behind the scenes with badass people and the seriously badass things they are doing, operating, creating, and building. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, the author of Manifest Her, creator of the PM School podcast and community, as well as angel investor and businesswoman. I am so freaking stoked to have you here. So welcome again. Class is in session. You guys, I'm so excited for our next guest. These two sisters have made it their life's mission to support women and create safe, uplifting, and simply fun environments to connect in. After years of growth in supporting women by hosting podcasts, workshops, and events, they decided to take their mission to the next level. Deanna and Danny have built a team of progressive women who are already pushing the barrier of experiences in Chicago with whom they shared this big mission. Wanting to connect women in Chicago and beyond, they began to develop Womanish as a movement that breaks single definition stereotypes of being a woman and celebrates various women experiences through the interactive art of experiences. Womanish is a movement that explores expressions of identity and perspectives through visual and physical exhibitions and experiences produced by women. So get your tickets for Chicago and Miami locations now at wearewomanish.com and listen to this amazing episode that we're about to kick off with Danny and Deanna. Danny and Deanna, oh my God, I'm so excited to have you guys here. I went to Womanish, I think in October of 2020. So it's like mid-pandemic and I'm like, you know, get me out of the house. Everything looks dope. <laughs> Um, and had no idea actually that we had, you know, a mutual connection when I, I went to the exhibit, but invited my sister-in-law, Courtney, and she's like, oh, I know the the two women behind this. And I was like, you're, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> so it's so nice to officially meet you guys. Welcome to the PM School podcast. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, so excited. And you guys are sitting in Miami currently where you're opening Womanish exhibit number two. Yes, very <laughs> exciting. How is it going so far? It's going, it's going pretty good. We just opened a July 4th. And so, you know, just getting the momentum going here. So super excited. You know, I used to live in Miami for, you know, around like seven years. So super excited to be able to come back and open up my business here. That is so stinking cool. I was saying earlier, there's probably not like a better cultural fit, I think, for womanish than Miami, given the nature of just like the aesthetically pleasing <laughs> that you guys have. Yeah, it's definitely like when people walk in, they're definitely like, it feels like Miami in here, like with all like the bright colors and stuff like that. So we're like, yes, we did a good job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so excited to dig into things with you guys. So my first question that I always love to cover with my guests is, as kids, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always know you're going to be entrepreneurs doing, you know, art exhibition? My guess is no. What did you guys want to be? I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was younger. I really like loved dogs. And my mom was like, my, our mom was allergic to dogs. And so we couldn't have them growing up. So I was like obsessed with animals. But yeah, I always wanted to be like a veterinarian. But then as I got older, I realized I don't like do blood and like surgery stuff like that and I was like oh, a dream deferred so when I was growing up I wanted to be an exotic animal trainer or I wanted to be like a backup dancer for like Sierra and like Miss Yelly <laughs> and for both of those dreams my dad shot that down very quickly <laughs> he was like no try something else but yeah so yeah it just you know just pivoted and here we are <laughs> So exotic animal trainer, unexpected. <laughs> also backup dancer, exotic animal trainer could have potentially been really useful. And then with your sister being a veterinarian, you know, if there was ever any accident, <laughs> you guys could have had a whole empire. Sarah <laughs> would have been like the person. <laughs> yeah, that would, have been, that would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. So a dream deferred. And from my understanding, I think that you both actually went to different schools, but you both studied communications and then went on to have careers in marketing. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how you both went from, you know, veterinarian and exotic animal trainer to we're going to go get an education, study communications and, and, and your early career. Yeah. So I think and when I got to like high school, I always like studied business. I feel like I took a lot of like business electives. And so when I went to college, my first 
I want, knew I wanted to do a degree in business. And so I had emphasis in management. And then I was also double majoring in communications as well. And then after I had walked into, I had a, this like student event fair, this student fair where like when you walk in, you know, the first month of like org- organizations. And I found this organization called the Department of Student Activities. And what they were responsible for was basically bringing events to campus. And so I like originally was just like on a volunteer, like I thought it was just a club, but then they told me like we got paid to work the events. And I was like, what? You got paid to like work concerts and like all the other <laughs> stuff. And I was like, this is a dream. So like I got started early on that, I think like my second month of college. And I did that all four years. And we like brought, we had like so many different like cool events, like a lot of artists too that are like big now, like Janaiko, like J. Cole, Kendrick, Chance, Wale, Big Sean, all those people we like brought to campus during when tickets were like 15 bucks to like go see them. Like, oh my God. But so that really kind of got me into like my love of event planning. And so Kind of from there, I t- transitioned from management to marketing, and but still double major in communications. And yeah, from there, all my careers after that kind of dabbled in either like marketing events or communication. And, you know, Womanish is essentially just, you know, an experiential event. It does focus on art, but it kind of like ties into kind of the love of like event planning that I found. So, yeah. Wait, that has got to be so cool too in college to have an opportunity to work with. Those are like the best artists in the world, honestly. <laughs> like the, Kendrick, come on, chance. Yeah, oh my God. yeah, like it was like in like 20, what year did I graduate? 2014. So yeah, like almost like a decade ago when these artists are like super small and like it was like literally tickets to like see J. Cole were like 15 bucks. Like it was crazy. And like people used to complain about like $25 tickets. I'm like, bro, if you only knew now, it's like 200 bucks to go see them. But yeah, so... That kind of got um, me. We had, yeah, we brought people like Maya Angelou, like all kinds of people. It was a really cool experience. So that was definitely, yeah, and I got paid to do it. And I was like, you know, I broke college and I was like, this is the best job ever. It's very cool. Very cool times. That's got to be so expanding to get paid to do something that you absolutely love and teaches you what I think I, I would bet now you're kind of integrating all of those experiences from that work as well as, you know, your early career into, into Womanish. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And Deanna, how about you? I went to school here in Miami and I think my experience was a little bit different. I knew that, you know, I feel like you always have to go to college just because you need to always just have like, like, you know, I don't want to say a backup, but you need to have something that's going to kind of secure your future. But really shortly into college, like just being here in Miami, like I had jobs working, you know, in the Dolphin Stadium and the Heat Stadium and I worked the skyboxes. And so a lot of my clientele were like entrepreneurs and just from having conversations with them and like seeing their lifestyle, I'm like, okay, I know that like I want to have my own business, you know? And so, you know, that was kind of where like my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit kind of came from. Such a tongue twister. Right. <laughs> and so I remember like one day, was sitting at home and I just called Daniel and I was like, hey, like, you know, like, here's this idea for this app. And that's kind of how we like got it started on our like entrepreneurial journey. That was a, a super fail, but, you know, it ended up like pivoting into this. Oh my gosh. I have to ask a follow-up question. So if you're working these skyboxes for, you know, some of the top F- F- athletes, no, that's not sports teams. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Did you have any, you know, a specific individual that really expanded you or that you had a really wonderful conversation with that led you in this direction? That's a really good question. I, there was no like specific individual. I think a lot of the people that I worked with um, or worked for, I guess, as in serving them, they just had really great like insight into just life in general. And just, I think, that's why I think exposure to things is so important. Because even just being like exposed to like, you know, all of these like CEOs and, you know, business owners and just like how they live and, you know, hearing their stories and different things like that was just motivation for me. So I'm like, I want to I want to have this life one day. And I think that was the biggest takeaway. But living here, some of my like good friends, you know, now are business owners. Like one of my good friends that lives here, he owns like a, a luxury like car and like yacht company. And there was a lady who I interned for. She was like one of the biggest like owners here in Miami and she built her brand 
off of that. And she knew like everyone. So just kind of being exposed to just different individuals who are kind of like leaders in their own right was just really um, inspiring to me. Yeah, I can only imagine. So this is maybe switching gears a little bit, but I think, you know, Danny, you you host a podcast called Girl Do Better, which I may or may not have read that was kind of like the inception or like conversations that were happening there led to Womanish eventually. Tell me about the podcast, the origin of it and how that's evolved. Yeah. So the podcast is me and my sisters on it too. It's me and like six of their girls. It's like, it started off as eight of us. I think it ended up being going down to seven. Yeah. But really the idea came from First of all, that's a lot of women to get together for a podcast. Yeah. You guys are so ambitious. And okay. it's, uh, we always say like my friend group is so like big and dynamic and like, but it's like a drama free. Like we always support each other. Like my yeah. friends are like the best people in the world. And so we have this thing called, a, we have a group me, which is like our group chat. And one of my friends was like telling a story in the group chat. And I'm like, this stuff is so funny. Like, I'm like, people would like really enjoy like listening to this stuff. Like, because just like the conversations we have would just be just cracking me up. And I'm just like, yo, this would just be so funny to like put into a podcast. And so we were like, all like, let's do it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And so from there, and we, and it was every time we like got, it was just like a hangout session. Like, yeah. There, sometimes we'd be like recording for like six hours and it'd be like take us three hours just to start because we're just like catching up so it was such a fun project to do with like my favorite people and yeah it was a lot of people but we felt we found our like cadence after like initially it was like it's like oh each other but like as you listen on I think we ended up having like 45 episodes you really got got to you know get a cadence but you know when the pandemic happened we unfortunately stopped people had moved and it was just like kind of like too hard to continue but it was definitely one of my favorite things and from and yeah on the podcast we had started talking about like what we were doing me and Diana are kind of like very secret we don't like to like put things out necessarily until it's like we know it's going to happen so we had like dropped little you know like easter eggs in the podcast about like what we would be doing and then like to look back now and like listen to you know when we had the original idea and stuff it's pretty cool yeah would you add anything to that Deanna no I would just say you know Danielle and I have always been about inspiring and empowering women and so for the podcast we wanted to kind of showcase like you know women coming together having uh really great and relatable conversations and a lot of the stories that we shared, a lot of the things that we've gone through, I feel like other people were really able to relate to. I love that. So, okay, so you guys dropped a couple of hints on the podcast. I'm definitely going to have to go listen to one of the episodes that you recommend. But on this show, we've got this theory that most entrepreneurs, they may be working a full-time job and then they, they get this nudge at night. And sometimes the nudge turns into a conversation, the conversation into more conversations and it ultimately becomes, you know, the idea. So tell me if you'd, you'd be willing to dive into this. What was that moment like for you guys? Was like, what was that inception of the idea? And then what transpired after, after the idea came to you? So I think that we were working on this app called Baby It's Our World, which was supposed to be like a, um, kind of like an Instagram type of thing where people, everybody would have their own profile. You know, it would be women-based. People could post about beauty and fashion and different things of that nature. And, and we worked on that for like six years and it didn't go anywhere. So we were like, okay, well, <laughs> it literally went nowhere. And so we're like, okay, well, let's throw an event to like promote the app. And we promote and we threw an event. We literally put together this event in like one month And that was like the first time that we had made any money in like the six years of like being in business. So one day, literally, Danielle was like in the shower and I was like washing my face and she like pops her head out the shower and she's like, Deanna, why don't we do like an experiential event? And then it just kind of like, you know, grew from there. We were like, yeah, like, let's do it. You know, each room around women, it'll still be, you know, very women empowered, but we'll we'll try to connect people in person instead of online. And so that was like the ah thing, you know, the aha moment. And from there, we just really did some research, you know, on how to actually do this. And here we are. (laughs) That's incredible. Wait, so I'm super curious for more information about this app. 
I work in high tech by day. And I mean, it's, it's not a small task to design a technology application and then to get it out in the world. Where did like, yeah. where did that come from? Do either of you have tech backgrounds? How did that come to? This was like, you know, this was maybe like in 2011, 2010, when like YouTube was really popular. And I think it was like YouTube and Facebook out. And I was just like, well, we should make like something like a social media platform for like women. Right. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. But, you know, as you know, we were both in college. Our backgrounds were in like communications and marketing. So we literally went through like three or four like IT teams. It was just a mess. <laughs> it was terrible. I th- I th- yeah. Like one of the biggest lessons is about like we I guess I don't know how after I don't know, even that big back then, but finding someone who really knew how to do it. Um, and then kind of learning that way instead of like trying to figure it out ourselves and like go the cheap route. Cause that was just like a six year draining journey. But, you know, I, I say it's a good learning experience. Do wish we pivoted earlier and not the six years, but definitely we learned a lot in the process and it brought about womanish. So yeah. Gotta, you know, they say like it takes, you know, a couple tries to get it right. So yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious to hear like emotionally what the transition felt like for you guys. I think that the not so much talked about thing behind entrepreneurship is like sometimes an idea has legs, right? And then you realize that it was really the inception behind a bigger idea, in this case womanish. But the whole explanation or like dealing with your own emotions around sunsetting the existing idea to allow the new idea to spread its wings is something that people don't talk about. What was that processing moment like for you guys behind deciding maybe this isn't an app, maybe it's an experiential thing? Obviously, the the one event kind of led you in that direction, but how were those conversations with you? What were the you know internal conversations you were having at that time? I think for me, I was over the app at that point. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? Like, screw this damn app. <laughs> uh, uh, like, it is not working. Like, and also too, just like events is like my passion. So like, and like, I do have a good understanding of tech, but that's not something that like gets me excited to get up in the bed in the morning. But like, I've always loved events. So like transitioning to an event was kind of even like a little bit of a breath of fresh air because it's something I'm familiar with. It's something I understand. Dance is something I love. It's something I've been doing for a decade. So for me, but it's still too, there's like, we have like a Google Drive and like my our Google Drive has so much stuff from like our app. And my sister's like, can I just delete this? And I'm like, no, what if we made it? Like, I don't know. Why. Right. I was like, I don't know why we'd ever need anything from this app, but I like have like, I do have like heart, like deleting stuff. And like, even when like, we had, I got an email about like the domain expire and I was like, should we get the domain? But I'm like, I have no idea why you need it. But like that part is just like letting it go completely is like something a little tough for me. Like even like it was like the other day and she was like, can I just delete all this like both stuff? And I was like, never. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, that's like the hard part for me. I think for me, it was like really tough because I think that if it was like, I mean, our idea was essentially really Instagram, you know, like what Instagram like evolved into being. It wouldn't have been exactly like that, but it would have been very similar. And it's just so, you know, it was just very hard to like let that go because I know if it was executed correctly, then it really would have. But, you know, when things aren't working, then you you have to pivot. Like that may not have just been what me and Danielle were like destined to do. So, you know, letting it go. I remember like being in tears. I was like, oh my God, we spent so much time and money trying to make this happen. And, you know, you never really, like at first I was like, okay, well, like this was a failure, but, you know, really it wasn't a failure. It was something, you know, we learned a lot of lessons throughout that process, right? Like one of the biggest things we learned is we should have got like a CTO, you know, a chief technical officer for the app. Just like we got a, we had, we hired our creative director who really, you know, kind of helped us like creatively, well, not creatively, but she literally like, you know, found different people and let us know how it's supposed to be done. And so when, you know, if that's not like your background, you have to like find someone to kind of 
help you bring those pieces together. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that we made for the app. So we just learned a lot, but it was definitely very hard to let go. But it is, and it may still come one day. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't know. I, I don't time. You're on time. <laughs> I can only imagine that the people that are connected to you guys through the womanish experience in that community, you know, probably crave a way to stay connected online. It's funny, you know, to address something that, that Danny, I think you said, uh, Jeff Bezos talks about in his book, The Everything Store, uh, maybe somebody wrote the book about him, that he actually still has the original domain for what Amazon was going to be that goes to the Amazon website. And so if you actually look up that domain, yeah, it still goes there. Yeah, we should, we should keep our original domain. And to the note on failure, I recently, you know, pre-pandemic, I was running a women's events business connecting like-minded women in the city of Chicago and the pandemic changed all of it, right? After trying for a year, just to like fight this like move to digital after you know some time just kind of realized well that's not the world anymore and it sucks that that's not the case but you know processing my own version of the same thing has been challenging and I think it's something that you know feels like a failure at times and then I realized like I would not have given up any of those experiences and what you learn along the journey yeah Mm -hmm. for sure yeah The journey is definitely, it's definitely a tough one. I think that, you know, entrepreneurship in general, it's definitely like a decision that you have to make and you have to know, like in making that decision that every day isn't going to be all, you know, like glamorous and different things like that. You are going to come into situations where like the pandemic, where like your whole life, you know, your whole thing has to like change. And so, yeah. Because yeah. the pandemic for us, we were supposed to open in March. And I think like two weeks or a week before we were supposed to open, we had to like close it down because of the pandemic. And we didn't know if we were ever, you know, going to be able to open. So just knowing that. I feel that we had our biggest event planned. We had six speakers lined up, a band, photographer, the space, the whole thing. And I get a call, you know, like two weeks ahead of time. And they're like, yeah, we're not comfortable hosting that many people in this space. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to support you. And I was like, oh God, (laughs) you know, like we've sold all these tickets and all these things. So I feel that. But you know what? I think one of the things that I didn't really fully value as much as I do now, given that I'm, I'm multiple years into my entrepreneurial journey now is like making money. Money is a version of feedback that your customers give you. And you guys had that in a big way when you hosted that first event, which is now kind of expanded to where you are. Tell me about that first event and then tell me like the conversation you guys had afterwards that kind of led to here. And we kept telling ourselves too, like after year one and year two, all the money's coming, the money's coming, right? Like, oh, just wait till it hits. Like we'll make all this money. But at some point you really do have to realize, well, if you haven't made money in years, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it might be time to pivot. <laughs> so I think, you know, so I think, but it also, it's like when you have an idea, it's hard to like, oh, but even when you see on Charm Taken, sometimes like they'll be like, you need to throw your idea out to the backyard and, and, and shoot it, right? And sometimes that's hard to hear, but sometimes you really do. And money, like you said, like, you, your business has to make money, right? Unless it's just, I guess, a hobby and you don't mind. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, your business has to make money and you have to figure out ways to be profitable. And I think too, like being able to transfer it, like it's a digital space that we're even now more in. There's a lot of opportunity to make online. So I think that, yeah, you definitely have to figure out how a way to be profitable and do everything as lean as possible for sure. And so then this, this event idea that you guys had, I think it was the, the Shire moment. <laughs> what if we did an event? <laughs> what, what was the idea behind the event? How did that come to fruition? And then like, what, what did you guys walk away feeling after it? So the idea of that, so you, the idea had in Shire was about womanish. So the, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the, but the one of them before that for our app was basically like influencer event. So, cause our app was supposed to be like having like the biggest influencers on it like promoting stuff and things like that so we're like well, why don't we get these influencers in person to come and actually like do the event and FYI that that was a mess I mean the <laughs> beginning of it like me and like we got like stuck in like three hour traffic we were late like it was just so 
So like the event ended up being good, but like the start of it was like terrible. Yeah, the event itself was good, but like our the whole thing of like putting it together in the background was terrible. And everybody was like, "Oh my god, we didn't even notice." Not like <laughs> and you're like you're literally still sweating. <laughs> Yeah, literally. There's like a point where Danielle, we like looked at each other at the same time. I was like, I feel like I'm dreaming. She's like sick. Both of my, my friends were there and helped out a lot too. But yeah, like that event was really cool. Um, And two, it really like, it felt when like everything was going smoothly and like, you, like we saw the response and it was like, okay, like people really do love like coming together, like physically in spaces. And I think that's something like, there's a really like good satisfaction from like seeing like, an event you worked on like be executed correctly so I think that's just like one of those feelings that like never gets old like for whenever you put on an event just like after you're like you know there's always all these issues like building up to it but like after just executing on any event is just such a like good feeling and so we really just wanted to connect women and that's kind of the mission we continue to push is that you know, when people come into Womanish, they like, are able to really like meet other women. Like it's a very positive and like safe space. And that's something that we're really excited about pushing. Like our staff has to execute that, like that, you know, anyone we work with has to kind of believe in that mission. And that's something that we've been able to carry on from like the app into Womanish. So. Mm, I love that. And that is so true about hosting events. That was obviously the business that I was in a couple of years ago. And like after when you lay your head on your pillow at the end of the night, you're like, Whew, best thing I never want to do again, except I'm doing it again next week or next month, you know? <laughs> Just yeah. repeat the cycle. So, okay, so you guys have this, you know, successful <laughs> influencer event. And and now you're starting to think like we should bring people together in person. This could be an experience. I've been to Womanish in Chicago and it's like a, I think it's seven stories of experiences. Each floor has its own theme. I think you guys did collaborations with artists around the world, maybe, maybe it's the US. How, how do you start wrapping your arms around this concept, this experience? It's so over the top, massive. It's freaking extraordinary. Just tell me about the ideation and then how this ultimately happens. Yeah. So we knew that. So you know, one of the companies that we kind of mirrored was not mirrored, but, you know, kind of like learned from was Museum of Ice Cream and 29 Rooms. And so each of their rooms were like really cool. You know, they were, you know, thought out creatively by either artists or, you know, someone who had like a creative mind. And so, you know, when Danielle and I first, before we found our creative director, we were like, okay, well, like, let's see if we can do these rooms ourselves. Right. And so we, we made like, you know, we made like different rooms, like I think one was called like, like a beauty room or, you know, different, different things. And so we're like, okay, well, drawing out the room, that's not like, that's not, that's not our court. Right? And one of the biggest things that all of these other people had was a creative director. And so when we found our creative director, you know, she really was able to you know, find like, you know, the fabricators, she was able, you know, the people who build out the space, she was able to, you know, she was the head of, you know, finding the different artists, or she kind of, you know, did the campaign for the call for artists. She was like kind of the, you know, the producer in that. And so, you know, we did have people from around the world, you know, our since this room is done by a woman in Hong Kong. You know, we've had people from New York, we've had a lot of different artists. And so, she kind of facilitated all of those things. And so, again, that's why I say it's so important to just, you know, Danielle and I were, you know, we were also decision makers on all the creative, but, you know, just having someone who kind of takes that over and who knows that um, like in and out while we're focusing on building the actual business, like funding, marketing, all of that, all of those type of things is so important. And uh, so just having a great team is really going to be the way that you're able to like grow you know, and scale your business. Mm -hmm. I totally, totally resonate with that. There are so many things that I do in my day to day where I'm like, I, I literally, it's like thinking about that task, that activity, that initiative is like gibberish to me. I just, I can't do that. You know? And it's like, when you have that moment, you're like, ah, this is why we have community. This is why we hire teams. How did you find your creative director? Did you guys find her? Did she come to you? Yeah. So actually I found her on LinkedIn. I was like searching creative directors and her name had actually like, her name had 
like resonated with me for some reason. Like I, I was searching for like creative director. I was going through, I had like, you know, many interviews and stuff like that. And something too was just interesting when talking to people about like the idea. A lot of people were like, well, do you think that you, are you sure? Like, and I'm like, okay, click. I don't know. Like if I'm coming to you for a job, like I don't want you to tell me all the, you know, roadblocks. I want you to tell me that you know how to do it. I want you to tell me that, it's, you know, that you're more than happy to do it. You can, you know, move all these roadblocks essentially. So I had a really great call with uh, this one girl because I actually had interviewed to be her assistant like a couple of years prior because she had this event company. And so I was like, that's why her name, I like went through my email. I was like, that's why her name looks so familiar. I had like worked some events that she had actually produced. And so I, the name like really stuck out to me. And like, I had a call with her. She was just super excited about the idea. She was very like, I can do it, you know, and that's kind of the attitude we needed. And we had saw her previous work. She had actually done something for Fallout Boy previously. And I was like, okay, we know she can do it, right? Because many people were like, well, I think I've done something similar, but I we wanted someone who's exactly produced an experience. Like, that was really important to us. And so, you know, after we told her our concept and like our ideas and our mission and what we really wanted to be about, and we sent her mood boards. And from there, she kind of like, you know, used her creative juices and kind of like, you know, we meshed something and it was just really. Yeah, because she was actually the second we were working with a creative director before her. And, you know, I think I had a meeting with her and I was like, dang, I don't, I don't think she's it. And Danielle was like, okay, well, if you, if you got that feeling like, you know, let's just, let's just go ahead and, you know, find someone else. And so, and I think that that's also important. Like sometimes you're just like in a rush to kind of do things, but like making sure that, especially if this is going to be something like big, you want to make sure that you find the right people who are very, you know, excited about your mission and what you're doing. And uh, so, you know, glad we kind of you know decided not to go with the first lady and we found a, another woman who was just really amazing yeah I think another thing you know that that you hear about and but until you're in you don't really fully understand or comprehend is like how important your teams are and how honestly important like your gut instincts are you know and if you know that something's not right or something's like pulling you in a different direction listening to that and tuning into that this is maybe changing gears a little bit but I have to imagine that what you guys have created is pretty expensive like anything from the space to the collaborations to just really truly the experience that you guys have stood up um while you're you're hiring I imagine you're also probably fundraising but maybe this is completely self-funded how did you guys you know budget for this how did you go and fundraise for it if you did ultimately like how what are the financials behind this how did you guys make this happen yeah yeah so I would say it was kind of broken into thirds Danielle and I funded a third uh our parents funded a third and then the other third came from like you know just different grants and different things of that nature but you know they're all in kind of increments and so you know, the first the first leg, Danielle and I funded completely. We, you know, took out all of our savings, matched, you know, maxed out all of our credit cards. We took out loans, which I wouldn't, you know, recommend for people to do, but that's uh, what we did. Um, it was very stressful. And and then we're not recommend. <laughs> and, you know, from there, like our parents really saw that one it was a good idea because all we did smaller events leading up to the big event and you know each event that we had it was like a huge turnout and so our parents were able to see you know like firsthand like okay wow like this this actually might be something and so they invested and then you know after COVID hit we pretty much took a huge loss on everything and but, you know, because of COVID, there are a lot of different you know, like programs and different things like that where you can get funding. And so that was the kind of the last leg that pushed us through. And so, yeah. And then after that, it was everything else was kind of funded by the ticket sales. When we opened, you know, everything wasn't paid for, you know, but we had a really great opening month. And that was really like the last leg. So the last leg was funded by the people. Yeah. <laughs> that was all the money that we had. We're like, well, if it doesn't hit then you know, it's just, it just is what it is. And so definitely wouldn't recommend and that, but that was our journey. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, and thank you for the honesty, because I think. Again, I mean, we see these stories of like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world that get, you know, infused in hundreds of millions of dollars. And it like sounds so sexy. 
But then the reality of most journeys is, well, you know, I maxed out my credit card and took a loan from mom and dad's bank. And, <laughs> you know, Added. you know, it's it's tough, but you have to get creative when you have something so big on your heart that you feel like just needs to be born into the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was very crazy. <laughs> yeah. We really, really believed in what we were doing. And we also really understood the numbers because we're like, well, if we sell this, like we did research on like Wonder was open and what their numbers were and things like that. And we're like, well, we're doing a product just as good. So if they're able to do it, then like we should be able to do it. Right. So it's like she's there because you and, you know, it's a proven concept. We're not reinventing the wheel of experiential exhibits. Someone just done it and they've been very successful. And we're essentially doing, you know, it's a different concept, but it's the same idea. And so we really understood those numbers and we're like, well, if they can do it, then we can do it. And we did it. So, <laughs> oh my God, I love that. Well, and I agree with you. You know, if you can do the research, you kind of know what needs to be true in order for this to be deemed a success in your own mind, then everything yeah. beyond that is just like, holy shit, like we really knocked it out of the park, you know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely a huge gamble because, you know, like I said, when we opened the doors, like, you know, we still had to pay a lot of people like, you know, 30 days after. And so if it, it, it didn't go off, then those people weren't going to get paid. And, you know, so it was definitely a huge gamble, but it it definitely worked out. And it was because, you know, we did the research and, you know, we made sure that like, as far as marketing wise, like we did everything possible that we could to make sure that, you know, we had a really successful opening. So, yeah. Yeah. So to that end, one of the things that we talked about briefly earlier was your initial opening was intended for March and pandemic really came down in the U.S. in March. Did you guys ever have like throughout the process and maybe it was in March, like an oh shit moment where you're like, this, this might not work. Like, Hold oh, on. Yeah. 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 I literally like only saw red in March. Like I literally like could not even like comprehend what was happening because it was like it, it was. Yeah, I, I can't really put into words the feeling, but honestly, it was for the best. And I think, too, that like everyone I think needed to like stop right and like slow down and like really like you no, no one really had time like that before and like in the house to really just like because I you know I was the stre most stressed I'd ever been in my entire life and I was like and then all of a sudden everything stopped and I was like well no one really can get mad at really because the event's not happening right where so it's like well but at my mindset it's like well i can't have predicted a global pandemic like what do you want what do you for me i was like well it just is what it is at that point and so and also too we were able to make the exhibit a lot better because originally it was supposed to be done in like 20 days and we got to work on it for six months so like throughout the summer we were just in the space like look at that and let's do these DIY projects we're just doing stuff in the spaces we had nothing else to do but work on womanish because we're like we know it's going to open like at some point it's going to open like we like have faith that it will so yeah it was really like I think we were on a call with our production team and like our PR team and she was like Italy is crumbling the oldest civilization is crumbling if yeah. they're going to crumble we're not going to make it and I'm like oh my god <laughs> like everyone we're, we're like coming out with like PR statements and like all this like crisis management because we had already sold tickets. And at that point, we couldn't refund people because we're so much in the hole because, you know, it was just like a whole thing. And our production team was like, like if we don't open now, we're never going to open. And we're like, no, like we just can't. It was just a lot of different stuff, but it was crazy. <laughs> we call that trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you plan for everything. Well, you, you know, there are things that you expect to go wrong in, in, you know, in building an event or a business, really. But a global pandemic was not in the cards. Not one of them. Not in the cards. And so, you know, me and Danielle are really big in, into our faith. And I was just like, listen, Danielle, I know this looks crazy right now, but I'm like, God wouldn't play us like this. <laughs> God wouldn't do it to us, okay? So... I know it looks crazy right now, but like everything is going to be okay. And like Danielle said, it ended up being like significantly better than we had ever hoped for. So again, we're really, and we had a really good landlord too, where we didn't have to pay for, we didn't have to pay until we opened, which is in September. Yeah. Oh, that's really amazing. Like, that's a blessing because 
we were in there for like basically seven months without paying any rent. But he was like super understanding, which was like another like really blessing because he could have at any moment been like, well, I still got bills to pay or blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Like when you guys open, that's when you'll start paying again. We're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh my God. Isn't it incredible? Like how just the people that give you grace when you need it and like yeah. that. Like you guys will have a relationship with that person for forever because yeah. of the way he treated you. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I always think too, like, I, I think now like giving people grace is kind of like a thing that's kind of uh, more up and coming as well. And I think that, you know, just kind of knowing that you never know what people are going through. He knew exactly what we were going through. Maybe not exactly, but he had an idea, but just, you know, being, giving people grace because, you know, inevitably like now we've been uh, we were only supposed to you know be there for i think 45 days and now we've been you know paying him rent for like over a year now or almost a year wow so it like really worked out for him in the end as well yeah okay so this leads me to my next question so chicago as far as i'm concerned as a consumer i'm like womanish is viral like who the heck are these two women they are amazing and you're you're now in miami how did that come about and did it require like new funding? Did it require a new team? Are you guys reimagining the the exhibition? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah. So Miami really came about one. We were like, well, well, what state is open? It is Florida. Because I love Lori, but I'm like, we can't be closing down and opening back up. And I'm like, we can't be doing that. Mm-hmm. So we really went to like the South because we're like, well, what place is open? And everything was like going so with with Womanish. And we really like funded it through Chicago. Chicago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was hard. You know, ideally we would have funded it through sponsorship, but it was really hard to get event sponsorship like during a pandemic because a lot of companies don't want to be associated with the event, you know, things like that. So hopefully now as we like move forward, we're able to secure, you know, different sponsorships and stuff. But this was kind of self-funded again, which I think too is very different because most experiential exhibits do get like, you know, the sponsorships from big brands and stuff like that so right we know that'll come down the line but for Miami it was really like well what's warm all the time because you know in Chicago when it gets cold people don't want to go out so we're mm-hmm. like wouldn't that kind of be a year-round thing that makes sense for our business and Deanna kind of knew the Miami market mm-hmm. I love Miami like who doesn't so it was kind of like a natural kind of next step for us I love that and so one of the again kind of my perceptions of the two of you is you're really marketing experts at the end of the day. Like everything about the womanish brand is like you can sink your teeth into. It, you know, represents something that I think is so needed. The celebration of women, non-binary, this the coming together of people in like an offline, non-digital environment. And I've seen so much of you guys online, whether that's, you know, publications or actually doing interviews like this one around TV. How do you guys think about, you know, marketing and getting the word out? You're entering a totally new community in Miami. Obviously, you know, you have some experience there, but who's the marketing guru in this group? And how do you guys think about getting the word to out to new customers? I think both of us are really good at marketing. We both have different experiences. You know, my experience is like, digital and, you know, like guerrilla activations from being out here in Miami. I used to work for um, CBS. And so I worked with a lot of clients like TV, you know, uh, not TBS, but T-Mobile, Audi. And so, you know, we did a lot of like digital campaigns. We did a lot of guerrilla marketing. We did a lot of um, just like pop up like event activations for them. And so like as far as like, you know, Facebook analytics and like, you know, newsletter analytics and different things like that, that's kind of like my forte. Danielle has, you know, she works for a Viacom. We, you know, we both have really just great backgrounds in marketing. And so I think when we come together, uh, it just, it's just amazing. But we did have to like, it is different marketing though that we're realizing in Chicago and Miami. Very, it, it's, a, it's a different, a little bit of a different beast. And I think that's something too for entrepreneurs to understand that like now marketing is going to be the same because while like a lot of digital and stuff was like really like hitting in Chicago, like Miami more like now, you know, we're having like womanish girls actually on the streets you know, like South Beach and Wynwood, like passing out flyers like we never had to do in Chicago, but Miami is a very like gorilla on on the feet to the street kind of 
place because everyone's like really out and about because it's warm out, it's touristy. And so kind of understanding, I'm doing a little market research on how to, you know, do marketing different. It's not going to be the same in Chicago than it is in Miami. And that's something that too, we're learning as well, you know, because originally we're like, well, let's just do the same thing in Chicago. And now we're like, okay, wait a minute. Now we need to like, <laughs> Actually, let's think about a little bit more, you know, to, you know, increase numbers and just talking to people too. Like we have a team based in Miami and so it's to get their insight. They're like, you need to be doing this, this and that. And so we're implementing a lot of new marketing tactics that we didn't have to do in Chicago that we're doing in Miami. And it's just a very big takeaway for us to our next location, really understanding too, like before we touch down, okay, what marketing tactics were best in this market? So, you know, we'll have a really like robust marketing plan before going into any new place. So. That is so interesting. And I mean, definitely a testament, like all the different personalities from Chicago to New York to San Francisco to Miami. Like it's kind of a different world, even though it's technically yeah. all the United States. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, because I know like, you know, when I used to live here, we used to be on the beach all the time. So like people would be handing out flyers to like go to the club and stuff like that. That's how a lot of the places like down here. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, different people interacting in Miami is very like tourist based as well. Um, so being able to capture, you know, the tourists and also the people who live here are going to be like two, you know, different like marketing segments. So I'm different in Chicago because most of the people who most of the people who will come to our space in Chicago actually live there. So one of the things you guys alluded to is that our next next city, what's the kind of bigger vision behind Womanish? How does this, you know, product project company expand beyond what you guys have already created? Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to like go into different realms. We don't just want to do experiential. We're not like necessarily saying what we're doing next because we're still like breaking out the kinks, but Definitely like conferences or like, you know, more smaller events and stuff. You know, we've even talked about like music festivals and all that kind of stuff. I think too, what's really cool about companies is you think about like Apple, for instance, like they are even Amazon, like they have a grocery store now, right? Or Amazon TV and Amazon movie, like Amazon Fire Stick. Like, like you can, yeah, you can really kind of do really whatever you want to do. Like, you know, like even Apple, you know, Apple too is a really great example. And I think that's always something cool that, you don't have to be limited to your space. Like if we wanted to, like Womanish TV, like we could, right? <laughs> like, so for us, it's really too about the importance of having a strong brand and people following like what your brand is doing. And that's what we, we really try to do wherever we go. We're usually there at this space, like meeting people and like connecting with people. Like we really want to be personal. We really want people to like believe in our brand and our mission. So like whenever we do transition to whatever's next, we have that like really great following and people feel like connected to us. So. Yeah, I love that. So the last question that I want to ask to both of you is I think that oftentimes the work that we're doing, whether that's running our own company, whether it's, you know, just brainstorming, whether it's having conversations and connections with people, ultimately kind of lead to the legacy that we want to leave. I'm so curious, you know, what's the legacy that you guys want to leave? You know, what do you want people to say about you when when you're long? I think for me, what's most important is just knowing that I helps other people. I think that some people are put here to kind of inspire and empower other people. And I think that Womanish is like bigger than Danielle and I. I, you know, we've literally had people come into the space and like, you know, just be so empowered that it brings them to tears. And so, you know, just by you kind of pushing forward and, you know, fulfilling your dreams, you're really, you know, unintentionally even helping other people do the same. And so I think that you know, my legacy, I want to see that, you know, she really, you know, helped people. She really inspired people. She really empowered people. And that would be like my, that would, that's what I would want my legacy to be. Thank you. That was a good question. Nobody's asked us that question before. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think that we are, I feel like we're mission-based. And I think that, you know, there's other exhibits or whatever that's just about, you know, just coming to take a picture, which is fine. But for us, we wanted to, you know, be a little bit more deeper than that. I really think like Deanna said, we really are about like women empowerment and bringing women together and just like connecting women. I think that, you know, there's so many like negative connotations about like women working together and like women can do this and women are catty and like blah, blah. So really like anything we touch, we really feel like we're like always like bringing a a team of like really dope women together who like can work together positively and really create something amazing. 
And so really just like leaving a legacy of just like bringing people together and just empowering people um, and inspiring people as well. It's like me and Deanna don't come from like millionaires or anything. Our parents did invest in us, but it's not like we come from like a millionaire background or things like that. So really just like anyone with an idea is able to create something great. And that's what we really want to encourage people about. Oh, well, cheers to those legacies, ladies. You are like living your your own words. Definitely speak from experience. My girlfriends and I, we went to the Paytish exhibit or, the, you know, the Paytish portion of the exhibit and took the pictures near the like, fuck you, pay me sign. And just yeah. like, every time I'm going in to negotiate, <laughs> I'm like, this, this is what I need. This picture of me in all my power. So thank you for writing that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, ladies. So last question is, how can our listeners support you? Chicago, Miami, otherwise, how can they show up and help you guys achieve more of your legacy and mission? Yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, go to Womanish, the how you the first thing. And then secondly, you know, when you go there, share, because, you know, just by sharing, you're, you know, kind of spreading the word about Womanish. And then follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Womanish Experience. And then I will also say to follow Danielle and I's page, we're kind of, you know, starting to, you know, try to push our brand as well as the Gray Sisters. And so I would definitely say to go follow us there as well. We're going to, you know, start doing a lot of really cool content. So, yeah. And yeah. And if you also think of any like if you're, you know, a part of a brand or a company or something that want to collab with us, I'd say email us at partnerships at wearewomanish.com. We're always looking for cool collabs and like sponsorship opportunities. And then you can always buy tickets at wearewomanish.com. Oh my God. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to share this with our listeners. Literally like your dream client is my dream girl who is listening to this podcast right now. And so I'm sure, sure she's going to head over to Womanish and support you. Oh, thank you so much. We made it. Yeah. Well, good luck in Miami. And seriously, thank you guys again for spending the time with me to share more of the Womanish mission. Of course. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. If you loved this podcast and you got value out of it, I highly recommend you come check out our community. Also, if you could take one minute to share this with a woman entrepreneur in your life who you think it would impact, that would be totally badass. And if you're not sure who needs to hear it, but you know someone does, snap a picture of wherever you're listening, what your main takeaways are from this episode, and post it on social media. Trust me, someone out there probably needs to hear from you that this episode is what they need to do next. And if you feel so moved, please leave us a review by going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leaving us an honest review. Tell us what mentors you want to hear from next, what topics you wanna hear more of, and anything else you think we need to know to make this more impactful for you.